0: You know, we know that leaders need to lead teams and there's all sorts of leadership training, but very rarely is there any kind of um, self-awareness, like what kind of leader are you? What do you stand for? What are your values? What do you stand against? You know, what is it that drives you to lead? Um, We don't often focus on that. And really that's the first piece or the first pillar, I call it, of courageous leadership is knowing who you are. Hi, I'm Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership expert and courageous conversation specialist.
1: How do you go about building effective teams?
0: Is having that diversity of talent within your team and mm-hmm. having a look at who's who in the zoo and not necessarily recruiting people that are exactly the same as you and not upskilling everyone for exactly the same skills but being able to lean into each other's genius zone.
2: Congratulations on your book, by the way. So this is my most favourite part of the book. Okay. To my sunshine, Max, Harvey, Theo and Eddie, may you grow up in a world that's full of courage and kindness. The world needs more of you.
0: I know, that's dedication to my little babies.
2: Courageous conversations. How do we go about having them?
0: There's a lot of ways we can Mm. go about having them.
2: So, let's not keep you waiting any longer and turn through the pages of this open diary. I hope you are listening. What do we need to know about your childhood too? Hmm. get to know Ali?
0: I don't really talk about my childhood that much, actually. So I'm the eldest of 4 we I've got two sisters and a brother. And I do talk about this quite a bit. I started my career as a professional ballet dancer. So I spent my entire childhood in ballet studios, on stages, in green rooms, Dressing rooms, that type of thing. So we'll vary. When you asked, you know, what do the kids do? We'll vary. Much a ballet, ballet family. Um, I grew up on a farm, which was pretty fun. Uh, it was in a in a country town that's no longer country; it's highly populated these days. But you know, we had that whole free range could go out. You know, I spent my weekends in creeks and dams, and we used to bring back tadpoles that then turned into frogs. But by then, we'd forgotten about them, so there was frogs hopping around the house. Um, so yeah, it was really it was a really fun childhood. Uh, I loved it until I was about 13 or 14 and then I realised that, you know, living on a farm didn't really boost your social status and all my friends were catching up in town um, and walking to each other's houses and I was like, oh, this is less glamorous than what I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Um, Why ballet?
0: Well, this is actually an interesting story. So um, when I was maybe three years old, I think I went to play play group or something like that and i was very uncoordinated i'm still actually quite uncoordinated but i couldn't catch a ball and i couldn't balance on a balance beam so they thought that i might have had motor difficulties so they okay. sent me to ballet to help with the coordination and my ballet teacher used to tell this story she reckons the very first day that i had my lesson as a three-year-old so three-year-old's obviously quite uncoordinated she's like yep she's gonna be Professional ballet dancer one day so from that very first lesson i was <laughs> coordinated enough um to to become a professional ballet dancer so that's where it all started i got sent there to help with motor coordination like gross motor skill coordination and the rest is history as they say
1: and you kind of got hunt, hunted almost from day one like all right mm. we see potential in you
0: yeah well i guess that's one of the perks of being like nurtured right so yeah believing in you mm.
2: so how did your leadership journey start
0: you? Ah, good question. So it really started uh, probably about 15 years ago when the funding was cut, like grant funding was cut here in Adelaide. So my company very, very quickly found <laughs> found out that we had no funding. So all of our concerts and performances. When you we say your company, you mean? The company that I was dancing with. I was with.
2: Working, oh, dancing with, okay. Yeah, right. sorry,
0: the, the ballet company. Yeah. Um, so I very quickly found myself jobless. Went for a walk down the main street of said country town and said, hey, can I have a job at the bakery? And they said, no way. Went for a walk across the road to the menswear. They said, no way, you can't have a job. This is the menswear. And I was like in my early 20s by then. And then literally fell through the front door of my local credit union. Uh, And they said, yeah, sure. So that was like on a Friday and then started there on the Monday. So loved it. It was, you know, working in service and sales. Loved the competition. Uh, loved the membership base, which was, you know, very community-focused back then, and as is usually the way in leadership, when you do well, the next natural step is you get promoted time and time again. Uh, And then I found myself uh, being handed the keys to go and open up my own uh, branch in King William Street, so right here in the city, got to recruit a team, very, you know, hand-select your own team, which is pretty unique these days, but uh, awesome if you ever get the chance to do it. Uh, recruited a team of very highly talented people, young, dynamic, very driven, and as a team we worked really, really well, um, and that's really where it all started.
1: How do you go about building effective teams?
0: Do you know, I think this is one of like, this is the uh, the million-dollar question, right? You know, what mm-hmm. team? what leader doesn't want an effective team and Mm -hmm. i think it really comes down to and we're talking about this just earlier is having that diversity of talent within your team and having Mm -hmm. a look at who's who in the zoo and not necessarily recruiting people that are exactly the same as you and not upskilling everyone for exactly the same skills but being able to lean into each other's genius zone and recognizing the areas that perhaps are your weaknesses if we're talking about you know um strengths and weaknesses And recruiting accordingly so that you can backfill those. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, communication's my jam and I think to build high-performing teams, you need to be radical communicators with each other.
1: Just like what, like I suppose top three, like in your head, things you look for when you try and build a high-performing team.
0: I think uh, a big one is all around accountability, so self-accountability, making sure that you're doing what you say you're Mm going to do and, and even probably if you're leading that group of Um, you know, that particular team is being succinct in around what is it that you're expecting of people to do. So, you know, the accountability loop, Um, you know, courage is a big thing that I believe in and think we all need to embody and lean into even further. So having the courage to do hard things, even though you might not be good at it, great at it, you might make a mistake, but do it anyway. Uh, And trust. And I think building trust is one of the most difficult things we've got particularly right now as everyone's coming back into the office and perhaps, you know, um, struggling a little bit or we've got teams working remotely where there's not, you know, those little micro moments of trust that get built in the tea room or while you're, you know, in an elevator or walking away or down a hallway to a meeting. So they're probably my top three when it comes to building.
2: Okay. How can we go about building that trust in an online environment? Mm. Is there a way?
0: Mm. I mean, I think there is and I think a lot of it comes down to being aware that that's what you're actually doing, so trust isn't one of those things that just happens magically. It, sometimes it does, but I think we need to get cleverer at it, um, mm. orchestrating it, particularly for leaders. You know, creating those moments where, at the moment, you know, you're scheduled into a Zoom or a Teams or whatever it happens to be, but actually pick up the phone and check in with someone with how they're going. Um, and again, you know, that accountability piece, saying doing and saying what you said you're going to do, is really important to build trust, following mm. through. Mm.
2: Ali, you, congratulations on your book, by the way. Thank you. It's titled Rise of the Courageous Leader mm. Three Simple Steps to Learn into Discomfort and Communicate with Confidence. Why do we need more courageous leaders right now?
0: Yeah, I think we absolutely do. I think, you know, leadership has certainly taken a big shift in the last couple of years, but probably in the last decade as well. Um, And it's titled Rise of the Courageous Leader, because I think we're going to be seeing another iteration of leadership again in the next, you know, five-ish years. Uh, If you have a look at what people are looking to get out of work we know that there's a great resignation we've heard about quiet quitting we've heard you know it's it's got all these great um terms that have been coined but really it's around leaders connecting deeply with their people um at that much much more i guess caring empathetic level rather than just you know leave your backpack at the door and come in and put your head down and turn turn the handle it's very much around how can we connect uh and you know build a relationship with the people that we're working with day in and day out because we spend a lot of time with them. Uh, And I think when it comes to courageous leaders is it's going, you know, this feels a bit icky, feels a little bit unnatural. I might need to show a little bit of vulnerability. I might need to, you know, flex a muscle that I don't normally flex. Um, And I really think that courage kind of encumbers all of what leaders really need to step up and do and go, Yeah, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Mm. It's going to feel a little bit uh, tricky. It might feel a little bit... (laughs) but I'll do it anyway for the greater good.
2: Mm. Is that why you wrote the book?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's time. I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's time for a new generation and a new iteration of leadership.
1: What do you foresee in that next, I suppose, generation or the emerging leaders five to ten
0: years? So I don't think the next ten years of leadership is going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity for unique leadership. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more celebration around people rather than results. I think if we talk about the next generation of workers that are coming into the workforce, Mm -hmm. Gen Z, Uh, I think that's really going to shake up the workforce from a communication perspective. We're going to be looking at, you know, four different generations. Um, I think when you're talking sustainability, that's going to really shift what organisations and businesses are focusing on in terms of retraction and retention. Uh, And I really think people are going to... Money's important. Of course, salaries are important. uh, But I think people are going to shift further away from the dollar and more towards is this in alignment with who I want to be, how I want to shop in the world and, you know, is it in alignment with my values?
1: Yeah, I think we're starting to see that one already.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I I constantly see that in myself these days Mm -hmm. where I constantly question myself whether what I'm doing aligns with my values and where I want to be in a long-term place and who I want to be as a person. Yeah. And does that, most importantly, align the, the values that I've set for myself and I've found... To be true for me, yeah. So yeah, that's definitely is the case. Yeah, going forward and speaking to the younger generations, they're all looking for that. Yep. and it's a very interesting shift because we weren't like this.
0: No, not at all. I've um, just been running some value workshops. So there's an organisation I'm working with, and they're rolling out new values. Mm-hmm. And it's you know I think it's gone beyond just creating a nice poster and sticking it on the wall. <laughs> uh, and I think there's nearly a hundred that have gone through this program so far. And maybe two or three knew what their personal values were before we did the workshop. So while you're saying, yes, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I think certainly mm. younger generation are aware of that, there's an entire demographic of the workforce that have no idea what their personal values are and whether it aligns and whether it doesn't. And that's why we're seeing things like the great resignation and quiet quitting because people are going, actually, no, I'm not, I'm not for this anymore.
1: Or do they know and they don't feel... Comfortable enough to be vulnerable in that workshop and share it with you. Uh,
0: No, not necessarily, because it's a self-reflection activity. Okay. okay. Yeah, so they have the opportunity, and they're like, "Oh, I've never, never thought about this before. I don't know."
1: Do they share it openly with everyone, or is it kind of anonymous? Yeah, if
0: they're comfortable to, and that's of course part of this building the trust and building the relationship across teams, is because we know that values drive behaviour, and behaviour drives how we show up in the workplace so it is a great team building activity mm. and also often when we talk about you know a value it comes from something that's happened in our childhood that has formed who we are and what's important to us and that you know is another conversation that you're unlikely to have on a chat on teams or on zoom so mm. yeah it's, it's a
2: quite of a process to actually figure out properly what your values are is there any like a Trick for someone to be able to find the values quick and this well, like, yep, yeah, those are my things.
0: I mean, I think it would be nice. I think we can superficially find the values, but like, yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah, really nice. good. Yeah. Sounds perhaps, like me. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm aspiring to be. Versus, what is it that truly drives you, and what is it that you mm. value as part of how you want to show up in the world? So, uh, no, there's no quick, no, there's no quick way. <laughs> Sorry, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, but I do think the more that we can be vulnerable and go, actually, you know, without any rules or any preconceived ideas, and not putting yourself in a box and not uh, choosing a value that you think someone else wants you to select, when you can put that ego part away, uh, then it's a much quicker path for sure.
2: What are your values, Ali?
0: Mine's family. Um, As we mentioned earlier, I've got four sons. So mother of four is one of my most proudest, MOF, uh, proudest titles. And of course, you know, making sure that I'm raising boys that turn into good men Mm. uh, is very, very important to me. And then... um, courage is really important to me so I try and practice that all day every day you know practice what they practice what you preach uh along with integrity and then joy is my favorite value so seeking joy looking for joy bringing joy finding happiness in those like micro moments are all my values Lovely. What's mm. your, what are your values
1: you're asking me now
0: yeah
1: uh and then too quickly um freedom and connection yes they rank up there yeah um it just i think if you take away any of these two away from me i will feel soulless on that note how
2: important is it for a leader to know their values and how would they go about communicating the value they set for the organization mm. to their people
0: mm. as in the company values yeah how do they communicate or, the,
2: or the team or team, team values? values yeah
0: yeah i think it I think uh, often we roll out our values in sort of from the top down, whereas mm. I think really values need to come from the, the bottom up because values essentially build culture uh, and culture come from from the people. So I think if it's a brand new team or a brand new organisation that's looking to develop the values is have a look at who it is that you've got working with you and having a conversation about their individual values and then what it, what it is that they value already about the organisation or... The direction the mission that the business is going and build from there because often there'll be a reason why they've attra- been attracted in the first place
2: good point Reverse because engineer. Yeah. if they, they are hit, if they are listened to in the process of creating those values then they already are on board mm. and instead of trying to get them on board once you've come up with a yeah. list of values and here we here you go we're going to be
1: acting this way yeah. makes a lot of sense mm. I want to go back to family. Mm. Uh, You said you have four kids and they're under the age of nine. They are
0: nine and under, yep.
1: Okay. So leading courageously with your kids. Yes. What does that look like?
0: Oh, good question. (laughs)
1: Parenting is a very special topic to me, even though I'm nowhere near, I think, being a parent, but I just still like that topic.
0: And Well, I'll caveat this with I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, Um, but I do think that, probably very similar to you, not being put in a box, being able to parent in your own way. Um, I'm very aware of, I guess, giving my children the autonomy to make decisions. I'm a very big believer in nurturing them, having ideas and coming up with ideas and their thought processes. Uh, My eldest is very, very clever, and I love understanding how his brain works. So instead of he might ask me something um, that he'll be curious about, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you my favourite question that he's asked me in a minute. Um, but he will ask me something that I'm curious about and I think instinctively as parents you want to give the answer whereas I'll be like, oh, okay, I don't know, what do you think about that? And he'll be like, what do I think about that? And just encouraging that independent thinking is so important for the next generation because we need critical thinkers. Um, when it comes to courageous leadership for my children, I've got four sons. Sometimes I just need them to be like a little bit less courageous, particularly when they're you know, hanging upside down from trees and monkey bars. Um, but not having to control everything, I think, has been my biggest parenting lesson because I can't. That's one of me and mm-hmm. four of them. Uh, but my favorite question that my son, Max, is the eldest, asked me, and we we're driving down the freeway, and he must have been three or four. We're talking about something, and he was sitting there silently, and then he just goes, Mummy, how do bones get in? And I was like, Oh. What do you think? He's like, I'm not sure. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> and this is my best, best ever parenting tip. I was like, you know what? I reckon this is a really good question for Daddy. <laughs> so he asked
1: handball. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where we're going with this, but this seems like this seems like I should pass this on. Um, but I think you know, making sure that we're nurturing those kinds of conversations because I don't know how do bones actually get in mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, and he has, he still thinks like that, and he still communicates like that you know, six years later. So, mm. Quick one. Can
2: you please take a second and follow us on any platform you're listening from? It will help more than you know. Thank you. Just back to the book, um, Ali. Mm. I've read the book and I we it on the topic of your family. I've read a, a parts of your book. This is my most favourite part of the book. Okay. To my sunshine. Max, Harvey, Theo and Eddie. May you grow up in a word that's full of courage and kindness. The word needs more of you.
0: Yes. I know. That's dedication to my little babies. And I think mm. the world does need more of them. You know, they're beautiful. My third baby, Theo, is. we always joke that he's pure sunshine. He's got long blonde hair and he loves sparkles and glitter and rainbows and all sorts of things. And I think in a world where there's so much anger and people are, you know, grumpy, we need more kindness and we need more courage and we need more sunshiny children um, that are sure of themselves and 100% congruent with who they are and what they believe in. So, yes, if I could duplicate them uh, most of the time, uh, I think the world would be a better place.
1: And we need a bit more love, which is clearly he's being surrounded by.
0: Yeah, yes.
2: Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think people are drifting apart and
0: Hmm. i'm not so sure if they're drifting apart or for just seeing a shift in people valuing kindness versus control and we're seeing people like you know the brene browns championing vulnerability um which i think is you know from a humanity perspective something that is well and truly overdue from a leadership perspective something that is well and truly overdue and I think it's not so much that people are drifting apart it's more that i think people are finding their people and having freedom to express what they need to express um and we're in the workplace you know valuing people's independent thinking versus do as i say not not as i sorry yes valuing people Mm -hmm. um connecting rather than just you know getting in and getting it done and being a number so i think we're seeing more of it coming through the ranks for sure
1: can you be courageous without being vulnerable
0: I think you need both you, it's you know it's the ying and the yang right you need to mm-hmm. you need to be able to have um both vulnerability in itself is courageous it mm-hmm. never ever feels smooth and comfortable mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it is, you know, Thicky, it, yeah. is yeah. it is butterflies it is knees weak arm um, spaghetti um and it i think it's it's what you get out on the other side of the vulnerability that you need to latch on to versus mm-hmm. the moment when you're in the moment of vulnerability um, then we would avoid it, right? But it's what you get out afterwards. One draws the fully, other. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like yeah. Actually, I couldn't think of a single scenario. I think like the way she asks it in the book is, "Give me one example yeah. um, where you can actually be courageous without being vulnerable." And she asks all these ex you know, military forces and special forces, and everyone goes, "Yep, three tours, five tours." No, I can't think of a single situation where I was courageous, even on the battlefield, of being vulnerable.
0: Mm. And I think it's the difference between being courageous versus being brave because, oh, mm. uh, where are we going with this?
2: Because he had this question and I'm like,
0: <gasps> yeah.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I was asking, I was like, is there a difference between being brave and being courageous? And he said, are there synonyms? It's like, they are, but there is a bit of a difference.
0: Yeah, so I think the difference, and this is my own belief around it, we talk about being brave versus being courageous with the kids all the time. I think brave is more where you don't have fear. Which I think kids mm. are very good at brave. And, and, you know, as a mother of boys, we're very good at being, at reminding people to be mm. brave and, oh, you were so brave doing that. Um, whereas courageous is more around going, actually, this is scaring the bejeebahs out of me. I'm going to do it anyway. It mm. so coexists is, with mm, fear. Yeah. yeah. Leaning into yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Hmm. The absence of fear then becomes bravery. Yep. Oh, I like that. Yep. I mean, fear and love do very, you know, Predominant human emotions that will probably drive mm-hmm. a lot of... Ali's pondering over this one.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just, I think this is a good segue to, to my next question around courageous conversations.
0: Ah, uh, yes, my favourite topic.
2: How do we go about having them?
0: Ah, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways we can mm. go about having them. I think a better question is why are we so good at avoiding them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and I think it is. It comes down to this: Ah, uh, it's easier not to feel icky than it is to have a tough conversation. Um, mm. And I've always been of the belief that I would rather feel icky for a minute than walk on eggshells for months on end. And there's some research out at the moment that shows that when it, in the workplace with tough conversations, we avoid them every seven minutes. And it's not seven minutes, and then you have a tough conversation. It's seven, then it's fourteen, then it's twenty-one, then it's four thirty on a Friday. Then it's your next performance review. And when we talk about you know, lost productivity, lost trust, lost connection, teamwork, it's something like $104 billion um, in revenue, which is ridiculous. And creators' conversations, I think the biggest stumbling block for most people that prevents them from having a tough conversation in the first place is the itty-bitty shitty committee. So the head junk, the monologue of, if I say that, then they're going to think I'm so-and-so, or if I do that, what if I make them cry, or if I say this, it's going to be a career-ending move. Whereas a lot of that, almost all of it, is all just monologue in your head. own mind. Yeah. So when we can get a handle on that, then it's a lot easier to have a courageous conversation because we're focusing on what we want the outcome to be rather than getting so caught up in what someone's going to think about what we said or about to say.
1: Mm. That's So this is from the individual perspective. Let's say we we're talking about a team or a tough organisation. Mm. Um, where's the psychological safety that's actually being fostered by the leaders in that organization.
0: Yeah. Ooh, psychological safety. This yeah. is getting a this is getting some airtime at the moment. And I think again, this comes back to what we were talking about earlier, is those micro moments, is creating mm-hmm. those, you know, those times where you can build trust and build connection and know someone at a much deeper level than just, hey, this is the job that you do mm-hmm. and this is the desk that you sit on, or this is your email or whoever. Um, and when we're talking about psychological safety, it's that that ability for leaders to be able to demonstrate and curate a space where people can fail and not have any consequences from that. Going okay, well, rather than failing and someone's in trouble or it's someone's fault, is going how? What can we learn from this? And you know, what can we do to make it better without there being any kind of repercussions? And there is another interesting um, study that's come out about this around two different, I think it's through an insurance um, company was the, the company that they looked at. And there was two different teams and one team had a really high rate of um, errors that were um, reported over a period of time and there was another team that had a really low rate of errors. And they're like, oh, you know, obviously the low rate error reporting team is much higher performing than the mm-hmm. high rate of errors. And then they did a bit more deep dive into it. And it wasn't that at all. It was that the team that had a high rate of errors was actually a far more high-performing team. They just felt safe to report their errors versus the team on paper that looked like they were killing it um, didn't feel safe because their boss was the one that was, you know, whose fault is it and who's going to be to blame and who's staying back to um, fix up the problem or the incident or whatever mm. it happens to be. So, yeah, psychological safety around going, okay, it's all right to fail and no one died, hopefully. if We're not talking brain surgery here, but... Yep. In most cases, being okay to learn from mm. the mistakes mm. that we make.
2: I think that that's more in like a, a, what you shared was more in, in in terms of an innovation context where mm. you're trying to do something new. You don't feel like if you fail, it's going to be it's going to have like bad consequences. What about in terms of just sharing your thoughts around how the team operates and and where the team is going, or maybe we need to shift. We need to have that shift in value. How do we? How does a leader go about creating a psychological safe space for anyone to be able to speak their mind in that situation?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely opportunity for them to role model what that looks like, feels like, um, setting the standards and the expectations really early on, and again, communicating and saying, you know, hey, we actually want to create a space where everyone is psychologically safe, that we can um, have you know radical conversations, we can have courageous conversations for the betterment of whatever happens to be our individual relationships our team relationships the um, communication that goes out to our clients and our customers the organization the whomever it is that everyone is serving and looking after and working towards going actually that's our main goal how do we all work together to get it there and when and it's usually only one or two people that perhaps are rocking the boat in that space and then for leaders to go right we're going to nip this in the bud straight away Mm. and having a conversation with them separate to the rest of the team and saying what's going on
2: yeah this is a very extreme example, but um, I'm sure you've heard of uh, the Boeing plane uh, a couple of years ago that two or three of them went down um, mm-hmm. in, in the back of each other. And I, and I watched the documentary around it and the workers on the factory floor that were interviewing the seller, we just didn't feel safe saying this because we knew what they're doing is wrong and they were just chasing Little revenue, like more revenue with little changes to this plane. Because I'm not getting into the technical side of things, but yeah. So that shows that's a very extreme example. But that's like if there was a safe space for them to say, okay, this doesn't seem right.
0: Yeah,
2: we could have saved many lives mm. today.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, it's a good example. It's a terrible example. Mm but how important it is to listen to the people that are experts in what the, what they do. You know, I'm sure at some stage, and I haven't seen the documentary or know the story, but at some stage someone who was not part of the decision-making for what kind of corners would be cut was going, yeah, well, I know everything and I'm not going to listen to whomever has said hmm. that it's going to be a big problem down the line. Okay. So I think it's really for leaders to recognise that they don't need to know everything and they don't need to be the expert in everything and to curate the team around them that are the experts and then trust hmm. that they're going to come with the right answers or get curious about it later
2: hmm. yeah let's yeah. talk about the three simple steps to be courageous leader yeah um, self-awareness yes. team awareness and organisation awareness yeah self-awareness in particular i'm interested in
0: yeah so i think um For many leaders have followed a very similar uh, trajectory to what I did. You're really technically good at something and therefore the next logical step in the way that most organisations are set up is that you are promoted again and again and again. Uh, And I think there's a lot of focus as a leader on, you know, how the organisation is going, how your team might fit within the organisation. You know, we know that leaders need to lead teams and there's all sorts of leadership training. But very rarely is there any kind of um, self-awareness, like what kind of leader are you? What do you stand for? What are your values? What do you stand against? You know, what is it that drives you to lead? Um, we don't often focus on that. And really, that's the first piece or the first pillar, I call it, of creators' leadership is knowing who you are and what kind of leader you really want to be. So we look at that through confidence. We look at that through um clarity and then conviction as well so being really crystal clear on your leadership identity and your value value proposition where your gaps are not necessarily making sure that you um, strengthen your weaknesses or work on your on your weaknesses I don't believe in that at all Um, but being aware of it so that you know if you need to focus on that particular area for example my um, weakness is attention to detail I do not care for detail whatsoever but my team really at the detail so they pick up my slack um and they're very aware that (laughs) there's a caveat if there's anything any detail missing it's not it's not me it's someone else please help um but you know that self-awareness piece is something that i think we don't look at for leaders in terms of organizational development until they're sort of exec or going into that ceo or ce suite um when really we should be looking at it in those early years where leaders are starting to form their own ideas and identity around leadership rather than trying to fit on a shoe that doesn't fit that they might have seen somewhere beforehand or um kind of just going down the river and following this and that and not really standing for anything and that can be quite confusing for the teams that they're leading as well
2: that was the reason why we initially started this podcast we were, we were having this conversation i was having this conversation with amin i said look most of the people seem to get into leadership position and then thinking about it, start thinking about leadership yeah why do we have like we use this tool as, as starting for p- people to listen to and think about leadership. Oh, what kind of leadership do I want to be when I get to that position?
1: Yeah, I think we've met quite a few people in different levels of leadership in different type of organisations and different industries. It just made us think. Yeah. Shouldn't this be, you know, type of responsibility to the system that you have to earn? Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Not just being high performing but also showcase your ability to actually create a psychological safe space yeah. demonstrate you know some aspects of um, being vulnerable and being open and that doesn't mean you have to come here and show your personal life and give me a spiel Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> about what's happening yeah. um, but show that people can actually bring their whole self to work yeah and they'll start speaking to great people like yourself and bring more guests and just opened our eyes wow okay there is a lot to learn before you step for into it and i don't know how many people step foot blindfolded
0: Mm. Mm. i think
1: i would ask you why like how how does that even happen
0: i I think the natural progression Mm. is the way that pay scaling really is Mm. for a lot of Mm. organizations so if you want to earn more money the next step is you start leading people management Um, (laughs) management yes uh but i think you know it's we really need to think about as society a shift in the way that we perceive leadership so you know you have people that study accounting and they become professional accountants and you have people that study law and they become lawyers you have people that um study medicine and they become doctors but there's no real point where people come out to become professional leaders and I think if we started recognizing the importance of those skills of people leadership of team management of team leadership of creating spaces where there's vulnerability where compassion and courage and empathy is celebrated and we're going actually this is something that people can aspire to we're going to hire them as a leader versus someone who's technically great and leads people it's going to completely shift people's experiences in the workplace Hmm. so why do they do it i think for money is that the right reason no is there an easy way to solve that not yet
1: that's the conundrum yeah um i think on that note how do you Try and build that space where you can give and receive honest feedback.
0: Ooh. As a leader or as a staff member?
1: Um, probably as a leader.
0: Yeah. I think, again, this is all comes down to role modelling and I think leaders aren't great at giving feedback. We've all heard of the feedback sandwich, which I don't believe in at all. You know, it's the, the good bit and then the, the bit that you really want to feedback, which is the constructive criticism. And then it's the good bit again. And I think because we know the feedback sandwich is coming, uh, we only really pay attention to the shit bit. Um, But really creating a space where it's okay to give feedback and not necessarily from a good or bad or otherwise, but from a curiosity perspective of what do you think could be better next time or what do you think worked really well this time? You know, what was it that was the roadblock? What could I do to remove some of the roadblocks for you in the future Uh, rather than did I do a good job? Yes or no. So I think it's really around the language and then also role modelling what good feedback looks like mm. in the moment.
1: And from a staff perspective, is it is it something they can do if their leaders are not demonstrating these skills?
0: Yeah, if and it is tricky um, depending on the industry and the team that you're in as well, particularly if you have a immature boss, mm-hmm. uh, immature manager and being able to say, hey, I wanted to give you some feedback. Uh, if there's any leader that's gone through any kind of leadership development at any point, they would know that they're meant to be asking for feedback. So I think, uh, as a staff member, checking, testing the waters, building that relationship, um, asking for feedback themselves, and 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 saying thank you, and then going, hey, can I give you some feedback, or do you know what would be really good for me the next time we do X, Y, and Z would be actually instead of emailing me, if you can walk down or pick up the phone or Give me an extra week deadline if that's possible, or notice whatever the problem is. Say, actually, do you know what would really help me thrive is to do insert problem.
1: How often do you ask your team for feedback?
0: All the time. Yeah, all oh. the time. My team love me feedback. Great. They have. To, they have to. They've listened to hours and hours of me talking about courageous conversations a, and a. courageous leadership. <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, come on, be courageous. What is it? And they're like, Ali, Ali, come on. Like, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'll wear that.
2: I was part of a debate not long ago, and the question was, do we need more technical leaders or people leaders? Oh. Thoughts?
0: I think, oh, I don't know what I think about that yet. Do we need more technical leaders or people leaders? I think it depends on what you're trying to lead.
2: Hmm.
0: Uh, I think we need technical, I think we need people leaders to be able to recognise the technical excellence to allow people to lead in their space of, um, of genius. And I do think we need people leaders if we're talking about integrated teams or um, multi-team projects and that type of thing. I think we need both. And mm. I think we need to celebrate and recognise both.
2: Maybe that's a good segue to the second part of your book around team overness.
0: Team awareness, yes. So I think this is really where a lot of the leadership development space is is focused on. You know, how do you lead a team, how do you do performance reviews, how do you set up projects? Um, I think the biggest lever that leaders can pull when it comes to leadership is all around communication. So Uh, You know, my kids are in school at the moment. You know, my my youngest, not my youngest, my second youngest is in foundation, which is reception. So he comes home all day, every day, um, learning to write letters, learning sounds, learning to spell, learning to talk, write, all of those types of things. And we spent our entire schooling learning to write and curate our thoughts and write essays and do oral presentations or um, speeches. And then we get to the workplace or the workforce and all of a sudden... And often people are quite young when they join the workforce, you know, fresh out of uni, fresh out of school, still adolescents or young adults. And the expectation that they're adequate communicators in the workplace is an expectation that, you know, is something that they're just going to rock up with. You know, you rock up with uniform and you rock up on your first day and all of a sudden you know how to communicate. Um, Very rarely is there any kind of formal communication. How do we learn how to talk with each other? And I think it's a skill that we're we need to do more of but conversation in itself is almost becoming a dying art by the time we can text and tag and tweet and slide Mm -hmm. into someone's dms how often can you just talk to someone and have a conversation that goes back and forth and i think we're missing we're missing that art so that i really think is the key for leaders around team awareness is being able to recognize that they need to amplify their communication do it more do it better try harder
2: there's a piece you mentioned i'm not sure if it was this was in the team organization part or the self awareness part around imposter syndrome
0: ah yes
2: i think it's very similar to the monologue that you said we have when we were about to have a hard conversation
0: yeah so what's going on leaders waiting to be tapped on the shoulder to tell are mm. not really where they're meant to be it's really interesting imposter syndrome and i don't know um enough about leadership ha- like what imposter syndrome in other nations but certainly here i think where we're tall poppy is such an australian thing to do you know we kind of drag people down and we don't want anyone to get too big for their boots mm. so i think it's conditioning that we have from early childhood we bring into the workplace with this not good enough um But it's interesting, most people that experience imposter syndrome, so people that don't experience imposter syndrome are the ones that aren't actually qualified to be doing what they're doing. So it's almost like the reverse. If you're good enough to be doing what you're doing, they're the ones that experience imposter syndrome. And uh, for leaders, I think it really comes back down to the clarity piece. If you know what you stand for, then you're 100% congruent with how you're operating. It's when you're trying to Try something on that's maybe not quite right, really when the imposter syndrome comes in, because you're waiting for someone to tell you yeah. that you're wrong, as opposed to having that self-belief and going, No, this is exactly where I need to be.
2: Yeah. Is it come does it come down to just changing that the monologue that you're having in your head? Yeah. Instead of saying, Okay, I think you mentioned this in your book too. If if your boss comes and taps you your shoulder and you're sure that you're like, oh my god, I'm about to get fired. <laughs> and you said "And said said," I'll always have these conversations with my boss. Yeah. Which be fine. I think that's exactly what you said in your book, too.
0: Yeah. The it's, reframe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it is interesting when we start thinking about, you know, the, you get a meeting that pops up in your diary and it's, you know, I want to have a chat. And you're like, chat, chat. What have I done? What's happened? Mm. Oh my God. Whereas from your boss's perspective, and this is a tip for leaders, always put like, why you want to have a chat. But it's, it's interesting how quickly we spiral into all the things we could have possibly done wrong versus all of the things we could have possibly done right um and i think this is something to to really think about if you're a leader making sure that you're clear on what you want to talk about but if you um are the person on the receiving end of uh, we need to have a chat just stopping for a moment and going okay what is it that could actually be right about this Mm. so yeah definitely a slippery slope sometimes
1: totally um the topic of self-awareness i think we spoke about love and fear earlier um, what are your fears, Ali?
0: Oh, I mean, I'm a mother, so I've got a lot of fears about my children mm-hmm. um, and the world that they're going to grow up in. But I don't know if I have a lot of fears outside of, you know, spiders, creepy, crawly things. Okay. Um,
1: Considering her someone who grew up in Australia, okay.
0: <laughs> Mice, I really have a fear.
1: okay thank you for Uh, telling us (laughs) no no
0: i know i'm joking a little bit um i think some of my biggest fears is for the work that i do not being able to leave a big enough dent in the world for you know when we're talking about courageous conversations courageous leadership you know how what if it's all for naught right Mm -hmm. is probably one of my fears um outside of you know children and them ending up in tricky situations uh I don't know. I think it's when we're talking earlier around fear and courage. Normally, if something scares me, I'll lean into it rather than back away from it.
1: But what does that scare you about, your kids growing in a, what did you say earlier, X scary world or something?
0: I, I just think I don't know. You know, like there's been so much change that's happened over the last couple of years and we know that there's climate change happening. You know, there's bullying that happens in the workplace. You, there's some really ridiculous data from around schools,
1: people doing more homeschooling
0: homeschooling, um, you know, what? what is it that we're creating for them to grow up in? And I was talking to my husband about this the other day actually and we're like, what is it that we can, you know, what is in our control? And we decided that the things that we can control is to make sure that they are able to solve their own problems, ask for help when they need to, recognise their own mental wellness, um, <laughs> always speak to their mother um, and, you know, being able to give them those life skills that they're not going to learn at school, but it's gonna set them up for life as in how can they be kind and how can they be generous and how can they ask for help uh and offer help. And I think that's really I guess, you know, I can be scared and worry about what's gonna happen, or we can go, well what can we give them and teach them and nurture and nourish right now that will set them up for stability, mental stability in the future and resilience. And I think that's probably really the only guarantee that we have for raising kids these days. Mm
1: i think on you now. just explain one of my mom's fears yeah right. crazy what is the
2: best question i could ask you right now
0: <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, i don't know i have not been asked that question before what is the best question i think what would be <laughs> you've got me i'm very rarely stuck for words um I think what would be the best question would be if I could wave, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you change about leadership today?
2: And the answer would be?
0: I think people embodied if they woke up tomorrow with courage. Mm. Courage and vulnerability or vulnerability and courage, either one, and I think it would have the ripple effects it would have for them for their teams, for their organisations, which of course then flows into family life because we know that if people have a shitty time at at work, Mm. they're going to have a hard time at home. If people woke up with courage and vulnerability to apply in a leadership capacity, different place, different world. Mm. I hope hope
2: you get that wand.
0: Me too. (laughs) Me too. I have to magic it. I'll see you in prayer for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) What would you change if you had a magic wand?
2: What would I change if I had a magic wand? In the leadership context or oh, any context? Well,
0: uh, open open okay. table, yeah. Peace. Ah, good one. Yeah, that's
2: good. With everything that's going on right now in, in yeah. Russia and Iran, which is very close to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Peace. Mm.
0: I Have to pray for that too. What would you change if you had a magic wand?
1: Spread more love.
0: Yeah.
1: Absolutely which is really fairly aligned to peace, actually. Mm. Yeah. Just wanna wrap up
2: with your book. Okay. Organizational awareness.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think one of the key pieces, um, and this is really close to my heart around organizational awareness is around change. We know that change is happening faster than we can possibly predict. We know that some people deal very well with change. We know that most people don't love change and embrace it. Um, and I think change is here to stay uh, and it's going to continue to evolve. And leaders really, from an organisational awareness perspective, really need to understand the impacts of change, understand how to engage their people, uh, how to lead through change and how to <laughs> how to drag the people that haven't quite... Um, got on the change bus yet you know how to bring them along as well whereas i think you know we know that project management um, you know it's been fundamental in a lot of organizations change management is now getting more and more airtime but very rarely is there change leadership once change is happening or you know business as usual change so i think that's really the key piece for organizational awareness is leadership or change leadership within at the leadership capabilities
2: we I have a newly added tradition to my podcast. Great. Um, So the previous guest has left you a question.
0: Oh, I love it. Okay.
1: If you were to name one person who influenced your life the most, who would
0: that be and why? Oh, my goodness. Only one person that influenced my life?
1: Yep. Who would that be and why?
0: Hmm. Can I do one celebrity and one real-life person?
1: Will let a slide?
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you may or may not be. So I used to listen to a lot of music. It was a ballet dancer, so I had a lot of classical music, but on the flip side of that, I used to listen to a lot of R&B. And there was an artist on the um, R&B Hottest Hits 99 CD, mixtape, Mixed CD, mm-hmm. and it was by an artist called Indy Ari. Have you heard of her? And she's got a, um, a song called Video and the lyrics are around basically being true to yourself. And if you want to do that, then do that. And if you want to do something else, then change your mind. And I used to listen to it on repeat all the time in my in my Corona, um, driving around the country. And I think a lot of the, my understanding of the world and, you know, chopping and changing and that's okay and being true to yourself came from IndyRE's video that I used to just play. And it was like subliminal messaging. Um, the other person in real life in Adelaide was an exceptional leader and mentor, still a mentor to this day, uh, DC, who was, you know, when you say, I keep saying you need a good role model. It was probably the very first time that I saw someone who was great at leadership, but also demonstrated empathy and could be tough, but fair. And, uh, you know, just really gave me a deeper understanding and ignited my passion in what leadership could be for people. So, two, one, Indiari, other, DC. You
2: touched on empathy. Mm. What is the downside of empathy?
1: Thanks, Ali.
0: <laughs> Look at you two synced up. <laughs> I think the downside of empathy, and I've only just recently heard this term, is around misguided empathy. So, it's empathy where we kind of get so caught up in stories and this. I recognize this in myself certainly um in early 2020 watching the news on repeat and i remember just sitting on the couch i don't want to say it because it's been a bit morbid but sitting on the couch watching the news of you know the count and it was just you know it was assaulting almost how overwhelming the collective sadness and destruction and despair was happening and i was so caught up with what was happening in new york and i was like okay And after about, like, three days of continual news, I was like, this is not helping. This is, like, I can be empathetic for the people and for what people are going through. But for right now, I need to focus on where my boots are, making sure my family's okay, making sure my community's okay. What can I do to support my neighbour? Because I can't do anything for those people over there. So I think empathy is a weakness when we have too much of it in all the wrong directions rather than focusing on what it is that we can control. Mm.
1: I love
2: that. That's a good place to wrap it up. Absolutely. Thank you, Ali. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy.
2: Our stories are the building blocks of who we are. And we hope this episode was the right trigger to reflect on your stories and how they made you who you are. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on whatever platform you are hearing this from. And two, the next, Open Diary.